0: I wanted to just share a few thoughts with you this morning and um, uh, in order in order for a movement to continue to happen, it has to be a multi generational movement it 's got to be a generational movement if if you if and, and I'm not I'm not talking about just just hope Hope City or or just the this organization. Um, I'm talking about the the family of God. The governmental structure that God has put in place for us is His family. And in order for that family to continue to move forward, it has to be multi generational. That means that that in this body. There's going to be shall we say, seasoned adults if you have received your AARP card in the mail, you're in that bracket and then we we have our um, younger adults and our our teenagers and young kids and babies and, and, and babies in the womb and this should be a place that celebrates life. Life, and I, I'm not talking about just like birth, like, like just having, having babies. I'm talking about raising up spiritual children, raising up um, sons and, and daughters, sons that are 70, 80, and 90, daughters that are getting their AARP card in the mail, that still know their daughters, still know their sons chasing after the father, like that's what this thing looks like. I've caught a glimpse of what the family of God looks like. And I just just wanna share, just, we only have a few minutes. I just wanna share a few thoughts. First off, everything flows through our belief system. Everything um, that, that your hands and your feet do are a result of what you think, your belief structure, what your head and your heart knows. That's the reason why um, there's so much emphasis in Scripture that talks about belief, having belief and having faith is because Jesus knows that even though sometimes our actions, our hands and feet do something contrary to what we believe, at the end of the day, our belief system always wins. What we believe to be true about ourselves, what we believe to be true about others, it always wins. It's the filter by which we look at everything. So our head and our heart create a, a foundation for what our hands and our feet do. And... Um, I, I want to share with you kind of a journey that I've been on personally um, with one of these lenses. Um, if, if you wear glasses or if you have had ever a pair of sunglasses on, which would probably be all of us in this room, um, you know what lenses do, right? The lenses, the purpose of a lens is not for you to actually even know that you're looking through them. It's for them to be so crystal clear that it manipulates whatever it is that you're looking at and creates a clearer picture for you to see, right? Um, So, one of those lenses that I want to talk about today is this concept. God is good. God's good. Hey, all the time. And all the time. Woo! There it is. 1982 (laughs) wasn't even born um (laughs) Did that take a minute did you guys just go wow like I could be his son. I mean he could be my son Yes, praise the lord Um, so these these lenses this lens that we need to look through is that god is always good he's always good and, and you know as well as I know, if you've ever put a pair of glasses on, like the other day I found this pair of sunglasses that uh, was in my truck, and I totally didn't realize I had them, and I put them on, and they were scratched all to pieces. And I'm a little OCD when it comes to that kind of stuff, and it messed me up, right? Like if you have a scratch or like any kind of little specks of dirt or anything, all I want to do is just take my glasses off and clean them. Some of you with glasses right now are freaking out because you want to clean your glasses. It's okay. There's forgiveness for that. There's room at the cross for OCD, right? Um, but, but, I mean, think about this. If you just have a nick, just a tiny, tiny little prick, a tiny little, little scratch on the lens, it taints what you see, right? So one of those lenses that I want to encourage you to think on over the coming weeks and months, is that God is always good. We've had some occurrences that have happened in this, just in this house, just in this family, over the last few weeks, um, that have shaken us to the core. We've had cancer, tumors, I mean, all kinds of other sicknesses and deaths. And that's just here. And so I, I just I want to encourage you this morning that let's begin the process of asking God to show us His goodness. Just a heads up: um, the enemy's plan is to do thing that, do things that make you question God's goodness. Because because if if the enemy can get you to question whether or not that God is good that his intentions or that his plans or his purposes are, are, are not good, that results in the perception that God brings evil. Because if you just pinprick the box of God's goodness, and the enemy has the ability to begin to flood his thought processes into your circumstances. And all of a sudden, this good God that you've been waiting on, you suddenly start thinking, well, is he really that good? Did he allow that cancer? Did he allow that death? Did he send that X, Y, Z, hardship, whatever? And then you find yourself getting ticked off, going, God, what's wrong with you? What kind of God do you think you, I mean, who do you think you are, God, that you're letting this happen to me? So I I wanna challenge you this morning. What if you, I've been doing this for the last couple months. What if you literally like go back and read scripture, newsflash, read your Bibles. (laughs) What if you went back and read your Bibles and every verse that you looked at, you said, hey, Holy Spirit, I wanna know how God is good in this. I want to see god 's goodness in this i 've been doing that i 've been going back through and i 've been looking over some passages i 've been reading um, some stuff and, and i 've started processing back through stuff i 've read hundreds and hundreds of times and i 've said, "Hey, God, I want to see your goodness in what i 've been reading so logically i 'm um, the kind of guy that likes to hit things head on i don 't like to go hide in the corner so when bad things start happening. I go to the book of Job, and I start reading. And I say, hey, God, that's like the worst place I can think of, so um, let me read through that, and you show me your goodness in the book of Job. So I want to share just a couple thoughts from that book. We're going to go through the entire book, starting with chapter one. You'll be here until tomorrow at lunchtime. Hope you brought sandwiches. If not, Scott will multiply the loaves and fishes we have in the corner. <laughs> mm. So, uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Job chapter one. I want to. I want to read. Um, I want to read a few excerpts from this book under the filter that God is a good God. That's the crystal clear lens that we are going to ask God to help us see through today. All right, and and so. Um, Just to to kind of catch you up into the story, uh, Job was a very rich man. He had a large family. He had livestock of all sorts. He had um, servants. He had houses. He had uh, all kinds of land and and just tons and tons of stuff. He was extremely wealthy. And God and Satan begin to have this cosmic conversation in Job chapter 1. Satan comes to God and he says, I have been circling around the earth over and over and over again. I've been going around the earth. And God says, Satan, what did you see? So we're going to pick up in Job chapter 1, verse 8. It says this in chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, after he had been circling around the globe, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, at first read, leave that up on the screen, by the way, this this reads like God goes to Satan and says, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Look at him. Imagine like God being a big God and kind of picking Job up by the scruff of his neck. Look at here. Look at this guy. He's, he loves me and he's uh, going to follow me and, and all that kind of stuff. What about him? Have you considered him? If you read it this way, that God is pointing out Job to Satan then God becomes the instigator of all the tragedy that hits his life. When you read through the story, you see later on that that Job loses everything. He loses homes, lands, cattle, all livestock, all of his family die except for his wife, and then his wife tells him to go curse God. So, if God picked out Job and said, hey, Satan, what about this guy? He's faithful. He'll follow me. God becomes the instigator of the evil. He becomes the instigator of the tragedy that Job experienced. And I don't know if that doesn't sit well with you, but it doesn't sit well with me. Like I said, I've been looking at this lens going, God, I know you're a good God. I want to know how you're good. Show me how you're good. And then I read this. And I'm like, okay, I'm not okay with this. Um, In my opinion, if you read it this way, it makes God to be a sick puppet master. Because I don't know about you, but sickness, pain, suffering, cancer, death, crying, shame, hardship of any sort doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. And if it doesn't exist in God's kingdom, then he can't be responsible for allowing or sending something that is against his kingdom. By that very definition, he is dividing his kingdom, which he never does. So this doesn't come from God. But I still have to deal with this verse, right? Um, So logically, I do what I know to do best, and that's go digging. I start digging, and I start asking Holy Spirit to guide me through this lens of goodness. And I want to share something that I found with you because the way that I read this passage flips the script on this verse. Um, put it back up on the screen, if you will. So, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was originally written in Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. And this particular passage was written in Hebrew. And so, it's important to go back and try to figure out what it originally said in the original language. So I did that. And what I found was interesting, um, the term, have you considered, in the English, in my opinion, is not a super strong translation of that passage. Now, don't tune me out and don't lynch me, okay? Don't hang me yet. But I just want to share a thought with you. You see, in the Hebrew, it's literally translated, instead of, have you considered, it, it's literally translated, <clears throat> you have placed your heart on Job. You've placed your heart on Job. In, in, in other words, okay, God is coming to Satan saying, hey man, I noticed that you're circling the, go- the globe And I notice that your attention is on my servant Job. I notice that you have placed your heart, i.e. your desire. I notice that your desire is for Job. Now, why would Satan's desire be for Job? Because Job is an upright, God-fearing man. Satan knows that if he can get Job to screw up, then he's got another notch in his belt loop. Just like he knew that when Jesus, after his baptism in the Gospels, went out to the desert, he knew if I could tempt him, if I can just get Jesus to mess up, the whole plan comes unraveled. So Satan is turning his attention to Job, and God says, I know your attention is on him. I know, I see it. So, see, who's the instigator now? <laughs> the enemy. They go on and uh, they have this conversation, God and Satan. Satan says, you know, God, Job's only faithful because you let him be blessed. He's only faithful because you give him all this stuff. And it goes on in verse 12. Look at that with me. It goes on and says, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all he has is in your hand. Only against him don't stretch out. Your hand. Once again, at first read, this can be looked at as if God gives Satan permission for this to happen. As if God, once again, guys, I I'm, I I'm, I'm, I I just want to share this, and, and I'm, I uh, I want to do it with as much tact as I can. Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt South, and I grew up in church. And one of the things that I caught, I was not taught this, but I caught it, was that God is all-powerful, right? Yes, this means yes. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omnivorous. Just kidding. He's all the omnis. He's all the power, all the stuff, right? Yes, God is all of those things. He is a good God, he is a loving God, he is a just God, he is a gracious God, he's all of those things. But one of the things that I caught in understanding that is that ultimately this all flows from him. It all begins and ends with him. Even the bad stuff. And if you keep going down that road, then God quickly becomes a twisted God. He quickly becomes a messed up God. Friends, think about this with me. I was talking with Josh in the office a couple weeks ago. and He said, what kind of dad would I be if I pushed my kid in the pool to watch him drown only to jump in and save him at the last minute? If we're not careful, that's where our theology will take us. That he's a good God and he's going to save me, but he wants me to drown a little bit. God doesn't give permission to Satan to do this. In fact, God was stating the fact that Satan already had dominion over all of Job's assets. Think about this with me. Back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 where the fall happens. Adam and Eve miss the mark. They eat the fruit. Before that, God charged them He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. You have dominion over the entire earth. Extend the boundaries of Eden as you multiply. And what happened? Adam and Eve took and ate of the fruit. And in that moment when sin entered their uh, inheritance, the enemy stepped in and said, oh, the keys to the world, I'll take those. Now I've got the power. I've got dominion. I've got rule. This is my world now, and you're just living in it. And so God points out to Satan, you have dominion over all of his stuff. You can do what you want to with it. Because Satan had the keys. Now we know, fast forward to Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, that's when Jesus took the keys back right? Now we have the keys because of what Jesus did. But pre-Jesus, Satan had the keys. And so as I started reading through this and reading like Job losing everything, I was working through this a few weeks ago and I started to struggle with this idea of God's goodness because I'm literally watching Job lose everything. because when you look around your own house and you see death and you see cancer and you see suicide and you see divorce and you see sickness and you see fill in the blank you start going god it's getting a little dark in here i want to know your goodness i want to believe in your goodness but I, i'm i'm starting to get a little bit like heavy right now like the tension that i feel in the room is is like oh i know he's good but 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 there's a lot of struggle and so literally I got on my face and I said, Lord, I need to I need to lean into you because I don't I don't I don't like the way I'm feeling in this moment. I said, Holy Spirit, can can you just like speak something to help me? You know what he said? I mean, almost as audibly as I have ever heard an audible voice. He said, don't attribute to me something that I never intended to be here in the first place. Don't attribute sickness, death, cancer, hardships, whatever. I never intended for that to be here. That's not a part of my kingdom, so it shouldn't be here. So don't put that on me, because I don't want it to be here either. In fact, I'm in the process of writing it all. I'm in the process of fixing it all. So I just, I want to share with you God's heart, okay? If I had time, I would read through the entire book of Job, but we don't. So I want to encourage you this week, your homework is to go and read through Job with the lens of God's goodness, all right? We're going to jump to the end, because everybody likes the end, right? It's a fairy tale. It's the home run fairy tale story. Um, Bradley pointed out in the back when we were talking in between services don't forget that there's a waiting period sometimes. Like we're jumping to 42, but there's like 41 other verses, 41 other chapters, I mean. So sometimes he's in the waiting, right? He's always in the waiting. So, jump into the end of the story because I want to show you God's heart for his people. It says in 42, let's look at verse 10. It says, um, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Guys, I don't know about you, but I've experienced hardships and struggles. I've experienced ups and downs, and, and I'm not standing on this stage to tell you that the end of your story here in the natural ends with a home run fairy tale ending happily ever after in the natural. I'm not telling you that you're trading in your Volvo for a Ferrari. You're not trading in the two story for the four story house. I'm not saying this is not a health and wealth message but what i want to tell you is that the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy god comes to reconcile and bring life and restore that is his purpose that is what he is enacting on this earth and the message of job is just a snippet a foretaste of what if we lean in to the father and just be with him he will restore all things. He will restore all things. About a year and a month ago, my wife and I miscarried. And um, some of you remember that day. We were we were in the in the high school. It was like one of the last Sundays that we were in the high school. Yes, Lord. Thanks, dude. I'm just kidding. We're sitting in the high school, and I had to preach (laughs) of all Sundays. And I just remember like being so broken. Because I remember it a year and a month ago or so when my wife told me that she was pregnant. Literally, my first reaction was, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not quite ready to do this again. And then we lost the baby. And I remember going to God, saying, "God, did I do this? Is this my fault? Like, like, did did I? Was it my sin? Did did I? Was it my attitude? Like, like, what did I do? Did I not pray enough? Did I not get enough people in the church? I mean, I like I said it from the stage that that uh, Sunday a year and a month ago." and I leaned into him and he said no son you didn't you didn't uh, you didn't kill your baby and then he reminded me that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy and it was in one of those moments like Job and I mean not like Job like Job got it bad alright right. but, like my my little foretaste of job, where I had to literally just get with the Lord and say, "God, I don't understand this, but you're good, I know you're good, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're good. Please show me you're good, And I can tell you like we don't have a child yet praying one in the kingdom come on Jesus send a child our way but I can tell you that the Lord has restored us he's restored me he's restored my wife He's a good God. We don't have time to unpack verse eleven in forty two but um if you want to come back tomorrow Monday tomorrow night, I'm going to dig more into this concept, so I would encourage you to come seven o'clock tomorrow night, but let's look at verse twelve um, real quick. I just want to read through this really quickly. Oh, I'm such a baby. Um, in verse 12, it says, and the Lord, listen is blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. That means, that means the word blessed means that God's leaned in. That God leans in. He's leaned into your situation. He's leaned in to you. He's leaned in wherever you are at. God is leaned in to you. It says he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. If you go back to the beginning, that's double. He got a double portion. Amen. Filled in the Spirit right there. Job received a double portion of what the enemy had stolen from him. It goes on. It says... He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, which in Hebrew means syrup. I don't care who you are, that's funny. It doesn't mean syrup, I just made that up. In the name of the second, Keziah. In the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. Clearly they were running out of names by their third daughter. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. No women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And listen to this. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Amen. Like, I... I said this in first service, but for real, like if the budget would allow me, I would drop this mic hardcore on the ground because that is a mic drop worthy statement. In the Old Testament customs, they don't leave inheritances for girls. Like girls were, were, were basically just, just very devalued in the Old Testament system. But it says, Job left an inheritance to his three daughters on top of what he did for his sons. Why? Because he had been through pain. He had been through struggle. And he said, I know a good God. He valued life so much that he left an inheritance to everybody. He left an inheritance to everybody. (laughs) You see, God's goodness leads us to value life. God's goodness leads us to want to bring an inheritance to the table. We've been talking about generosity in this church. You wanna talk about generosity? Generosity is living for the generations it's living thinking generationally not just about yourself but about your future generations that are coming after you it's setting them up for success and i'm not just talking about money i'm talking about the way they think the way they act helping them receive the empowering of the holy spirit today did y'all know there's no junior holy spirit Did you know that the children in the children's area can prophesy and be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak power on this stage just like an adult can? That's inheritance. Now, I do hope I leave my children $10 million. I'm praying for that. But more importantly, I wanna remind them about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I wanna value life to the point that my desire is to leave everybody in inheritance. And listen to this, in 16, it says, after Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations and Job died an old man and full of days. That's what it looks like to think generationally, friends. I just want to give you a practical example of what it looks like to leave an inheritance. You're going to get an inheritance. It's okay. Don't sweat it. I want to show you, okay? And I'm not talking money. Um, put that image up on the screen. This is my wife. Uh, this is an example of, of my wife's work. Um, she does this thing called string art. She's crazy creative and all that kind of fun stuff. And, um, and and like when she first started doing this, like nailing nails all around stuff and then doing strings, I was like, that just looks chaotic and messy. And then all of a sudden I, I stepped back and was like, whoa, that's cool. I wish I'd have thought of that. And the more her and I started talking about it, the more I started realizing, like she does words and, and l- images and things like that. Um, the thing that I started realizing is like, this is deeply spiritual because think about this. Every single one of those things are interconnected. It's woven together to create an image. And the Lord was like, that's family. All of you are connected. We're all connected. Jesus Christ holds us all together. We're all interconnected and we're creating this picture of God's goodness. We're creating this picture of God's love. And when people look at the picture close up, they go, ooh, that's chaotic, that's crazy, that's nuts. Look at those people, they're crazy. And then they step back and go, whoa, man, God is good. (laughs) I just didn't see it initially. So y'all thought that was the end of the story, right? Let me show you the passing of the inheritance. Last night, my daughter sent me a text message. Eight years old. And she sends this right here. I just want to read the text. Hey Daddy, I made this sign for Lindsay. Nana help me. Do you like it? On the side is John three sixteen. And when I saw that, like literally, I started crying. Because it's not about the string art. It's about the fact that my wife is instilling deep spiritual values to my little girl. She's mothering her in a way that shows her kingdom principles. She's crafting words That are all tied together, that are stringed together, that are interconnected, that create a word. (laughs) And she's gonna give that somebody to somebody and say, Hey, I just want you to know God loves you. You wanna talk about inheritance? That's inheritance. That is a million-dollar board. So friends, we have a call in this community. We got to stop thinking about just this moment. And we got to start thinking that this moment actually engages tomorrow. Don't live for tomorrow. Live for now, knowing that now engages tomorrow. Live for the present, knowing that your destiny is today and tomorrow and the next day. And because we serve a good God, he is advancing his kingdom through you and through me. And it is our good pleasure to pass an inheritance of a good God.